Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I want to welcome everyone. If you are new, we are so glad you found us. I hope that you join us often. If you are not new, (laughs) welcome back. We have such a growing Facebook group. We have so many new families and we just want to welcome everyone and just let you know that we're here to walk alongside you and help you with all of your screen struggles with your kids and all the conflicts that that may may bring. And we have been talking a, a lot lately, this just over the months about schools, screens, and this month we're focusing a lot more on video games. Certainly we talk a lot about smartphones and social media. So today, just for a second, before I bring our guests on, which I am so thrilled to have, I'm just so excited to hear everything they're going to have to share with you today as well, that I just want to go over our core values for ScreenStrong because we have a lot of new people. So I'm just, it's only going to take me a second. I'm just going to go through just some of the highlights. So you'll know, you know, a lot of people say, well, what do y'all believe about this or that? Or, you know, just help us out. The first one is we believe in building healthy families. And family connections and values are much stronger when parents influence and provide leadership, you know, for their kids over the the culture that's out there in the screen culture. The second thing is that we believe that we should try to eliminate toxic screens from our kids' lives. Now, this is not all screens. This is not used for education and different things maybe that, that they need for school, but we're talking about toxic screens like video games, social media, pornography. Those are the things that we need to not just limit, but we need to eliminate them because there is never a point in in time where a moderate amount of toxic screens is, is really good for our kids. And I think that holds up a lot of people when they're trying to make their screen decisions. The next thing is that we believe it's really important to develop life skills and that these life skills should be focused on and are way more important than screen skills. I think a few years ago, maybe five or 10 years ago, we thought it was really important for our kids to learn all these screen skills. And now we're learning that, huh, you know what? Those are easy to learn. What's not easy are all the life skills they're going to need. The next thing is to prioritize authentic relationships. And this means that true communication and connections are developed in person, face-to-face and not on a screen. The last thing is our core value that says it is okay to delay addictive screens. This means delaying the use of video games and smartphones is okay. And we think that it's actually a lot more than okay. (laughs) We think that it's a great solution. We're not saying no forever. We're saying delay till your kids are older. We even say to delay through the teenage years. So let's jump right in with our guest today because I think all of these things will be things that we'll probably even touch on a little bit today. Very excited to have a couple. We have Steve and Candace Waters today. They are very, very passionate about helping and supporting young families. So welcome, Steve and Candace. Welcome to the show. Oh, so great to be with you. Thanks so much for bringing us on. Yeah, we're really thrilled to be here. Thank you. Good. I'm so glad this worked out. So I'm just going to have y'all jump in and tell us a little bit about your background a little bit about your story and why you are so passionate about helping families. Well, as we look back on the time that our family has been around, we now have a almost 22-year-old 
mm-hmm. and down to our youngest is about to turn 13. Over the course of their life, we've worked with Christian ministries. They were born when we were working at Focus on the Family. And I think at organizations, ministries, in terms of how we go about um, forming strong families was a recognition that we have to be very intentional about media and, and how we guide and guard our children in that. But I think practically too, Melanie, growing up in the 70s, even and I were born in 1970, and um, being non-digital natives, we did not have phones or anything connected apart from a desktop computer when our kids were born, certainly mm-hmm. our older kids. Um, we have four all together. And so as a young mom, I was never tempted by a smartphone at the park. I never had the option to check Facebook while I nursed my newborn baby. And just watching the younger women face the temptation and and often give into that pull to spend those often difficult stretches of time uh, looking at social media, checking Pinterest, all these sorts of things that are like eye candy and, and time um, absorbers in difficult times. I, I am so concerned that they are missing out on what they'll never be able to get back. And so that kind of personally began my, my it is kind of a quest. I'm, I'm pretty um, hmm. eager to jump in where angels fear to tread and challenge, especially new moms. Yeah. I'm talking about your, your quest now in terms of serving moms, but personally yeah. our concern for our kids, I think some of us started, our oldest was born in 1999 we recognized we were by that point a few years into the internet going public, recognizing media and offerings were expanding widely. And so I think we, we were definitely recognizing our kids are grow, growing up in a very different world from us, and we need to be much more intentional. Right. And because we were non-digital natives, you know, we grew up with, with analog everything, we weren't in a hurry to give that stuff to our kids. And I think we were reading enough, um, having both studied public policy, we were reading books and articles and seeing the ugly underside of what all this stuff does in kids' lives. And so we were just setting some pretty strict rules about it, I think, for ourselves in our own home. And really have been thankful to be able to be an example to these younger families coming up to say, hey, you know, you don't have to give your kids phones. In fact, you shouldn't. <laughs> Um, the pressure is tremendous. Exactly. So tell us a little bit just about raising your kids and how, you know, when did you first start realizing, huh, maybe this isn't such a good idea? Because obviously, you know, your friends were starting to get computers for their kids, probably, you know, video games were not what they obviously are today. They're so much more powerful today, even than when they were back when your oldest was coming through, what light bulb moments kind of were going off in your head when you were realizing, hey, I think we're going to do this a little different. Like, why did you go counterculture? Because, you know, a lot of people like, like me, even with my oldest, it came along all these video games. I thought, oh, this is just what you do. You have boys and they have to play video games. Huh. And, you know, we, we didn't even think, I didn't even think, oh, wait, maybe this isn't such a good habit for him. I will say there was some influence on my end in the fact that my parents could not afford the Atari systems that all the other kids around us were getting. And so we ended up getting uh, this Texas Instruments computer 
that had only two games on it, Car Wars and Hunt the Wampus. <laughs> and needless to say, I never quite got addicted to yeah, yeah. either really? one of those games. But <laughs> Shocking. The, the boredom of those games led me to actually spend some time using the computer to try to learn basic, learn some computer language. And I think that was part of why it was on my radar screen as much more of the personal computer world was developing. And then Candace and I both, when we went to graduate school, met in graduate school in 95, we had a professor in a government program who required us to take a class about HTML and learn about web. And we ended up starting a web zine, I guess you call it at that time. And so even though we grew up very analog, we were early in a lot of digital development, but then I was also developing a website for Focus because I was an internet research analyst at the time. And early on, I was seeing all of the legislative and judicial battles about protecting children online, very much on the front lines of seeing what was on the horizon, and started this website to try to address what was early on being revealed as an explosion in online pornography. And so both trying to serve um, men who are struggling, as well as um, being involved in a lot of these efforts to protect children. So needless to say, having our first child in the midst of all that, we recognized there's a lot of wonderful things about emerging technologies. And at the same time, we've just opened up Pandora's box with what is now available. And we have to be diligent about what our children are going to experience. Melanie, I had two light bulb moments. The first one was when our oldest was in the preteen, early adolescent phase. And we had a one desktop computer that was in a family shared space that had filters on it and time limits and all of the things that that you are doing when you're trying to be diligent to protect your kids. You know, you want to build character and you want to build walls. And so we thought we had walls that were high enough, but two things happened. He stumbled upon some pornographic type articles and materials on Wikipedia. Nobody thinks, you know, right off the bat that that's a horrible website. A lot of people use it. So I, I walked into the room and he was there and he, I could tell he was doing something he shouldn't be just by the way he was looking at me. And lo and behold, he had found things that was very hard as a mom to see just the list. And I thought, my goodness, if this is happening in our home, this is happening everywhere. And yeah. it was a painful time, but it was a very valuable learning experience and a cautionary tale. And so I um, think it's important to urge parents to be more diligent than they think they need to be. We had to be way more diligent and building relationship with our kids and building an alternative to what the world was offering. And that included really being intentional about the culture in our home. I love that. So Steve and Candace, both of y'all then kind of got on the same page to change the culture in your home. And that's something I want to talk a little bit more about, because I think it's sometimes hard as a couple to come to that realization together. Yeah. And I'll admit that we recognize, okay, we need to be as one about what we're going to do as a family. We obviously don't want our kids 
to pit us off of each other in terms of, oh, dad will let me watch this, but mom won't. I'll go to dad to ask about that. And so we definitely wanted to be on the same page. Yeah, it was a process though. We weren't initially immediately at the same place. And I was a lot more strict. You know, I was with the kids most of the time during the day. Steve was at the office. And so I had the the opportunity and the responsibility to set the tone during the day. And I think where we we were of like mind early on was that we knew we wanted kids who loved books and loved stories and loved to create things. And we saw in them early on an appetite for art and for music. And so we were pouring a lot of energy and effort into developing those things. So we we had um, early on more oneness over, okay, what, what do we want them to do? Right. Well, and just to clarify, it's not like it took us that long Early on, we definitely had much shared, but I, you know, I, I suspect like a lot of couples, I think there was a lot of early sensitivity that Candace had, and to her point that she was with our kids, especially, you know, during the day when they're asking about television or movies or other things like that, being the one that is there to field those questions. Let's talk a minute about just building healthy families from your perspective and from raising the children that y'all have four children and you've had quite quite a few years under your belt um, with parenting. And tell us what you did as far as alternative things. I love the idea that you spoke about, just the idea of books and stories and music and I think in our screen culture, we tend to go down this pathway of thinking we have to get all these things from the screen. And really what we need to do is sort of stop at that fork in the road and say, huh, maybe we can take this path over here and delay that path for a bit. (laughs) And you both have really figured out how to do this. So give us some of the practical things around music and the things that make your family a family. Yeah, well, we one big one is that Steve and I love to read, and from the beginning of our marriage, we didn't we didn't have a television when we first got married, and that was on purpose. We didn't want to be distracted by that, right? And so we played a lot of Scrabble when we were newlyweds, and we read books, and we spent time together. You know? Yeah, <laughs> we just wanted to focus on you. We had plenty of things um, to do as a couple. We and we wanted to read to our kids. I yeah, mean, early we, early on, we. We started read alouds and really kept that routine going. Yeah, and and it's not that we never ended up getting a TV, but it was never in the centerpiece of our home. Right, um, the one we have now is in the basement, and it takes us about ten minutes to even remember how to turn it on and get anything working <laughs> every time. And we we always look at each other and say, "We do this on purpose." <laughs> it's not the kind of set you can just turn on and watch something. There's definitely friction there. Yeah, you have to make it less convenient, right? That's That's right. right. The centerpiece of our home is our library. That's where we spend all of our time. And it's bookshelves on every wall. And so early on, taking the kids to the library, and um, I don't recommend anymore that moms let their kids browse even the children's book section because there is so much damaging stuff aimed at kids and especially the YA, the young adult audience. So 
curating books for them from the very earliest ages, finding lists of good books that other trusted older moms and sources, you know, books of books, these collections of titles with short descriptions of stories and just going through and ordering 50, 60, 70 books, picking them up from the library and coming home. And that would be our, our school in the afternoon. We homeschool. And so I would go to the library and load up on a whole basket full of books and come home and we would all sit on, I mean, CB would be at work, but I, with the kids would all sit on the couch. Yeah. And even, even when they were young enough that they were all just picture books, we all loved doing that. And we still, whoever's around when we come home from the library, we'll, we'll grab the picture books first and sit on the couch and we look at the illustrations. And I think it's a great idea to make it a together thing. I think a lot of times we fail when we think we're just going to give our kids books and tell them to go in their own room and like, uh, you know, they, yes. they want to be around us and having like a reading roundup, for example, is yeah. a great idea, like what y'all did. And uh, just to sit, everybody get their own book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say the family read aloud is really proven yeah. to be one of our favorite parts of our culture. And we appreciate that even now we still have a reading routine where when our 19 and 21 year old are around still love joining being a part of that um you know it's something that definitely there's one mindset that says this is for kind of pre-readers but is actually something that uh can really go for a lifetime but especially throughout the time that you have children in your home that's that's definitely been very proactive i would say another area though that in some ways we kind of backed our way into was that when um, our kids outgrew their naps, we still recognize the value of having a time of day that would be what we ended up calling quiet time mm-hmm. in which they would still be able to have some time that's set aside, no screens, but to uh, do art, to read. We would pull out um, audiobooks. They would often enjoy playing Legos while listening to an audiobook. Puzzles. Yeah. Um, and it, dress up clothes, clay. Initially, they had the, their quiet times in their, their own rooms. They, they shared rooms. So, but initially, they were not with each other. But as they got mm-hmm. old enough to stay quiet enough that I could get a nap, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they would all go down to the, they called it the Imaginarium. It's where all their toys were and their audio stories and art supplies and dolls for our daughter and they would just for two hours yeah busy themselves sometimes individually doing quiet activity by themselves but often you know teaming up building up a huge Rube Goldberg where the dominoes knock down the the this and the that and it's a whole Mm -hmm. works Mm -hmm. thing in the basement the whole floor would be covered with stuff and then they grew into they would even take that time for art um doing drawing painting clay projects a variety of other creative things. And then what happened is you get the power of routine where Mm -hmm. they just regularly are looking forward to that creative time. And you see even some of those skills and interests cultivated, developed and growing. And Mm -hmm. we started seeing the inertia of that routine being even stronger than the inertia of, hey, we just you know, just going to turn on a television or turn on a video game or other routines and habits that kids can get into. And our our oldest ended up becoming an artist. He has generated quite a lot of revenue um, selling art. And it was, it really just began as a hobby. We bought pencils and crayons and books for them, um, paper 
to draw in color while Steve would read to us because initially Zoe was too little to really pay attention. And so mm-hmm. she would color while Steve would read. And then at that time, Harrison could pay attention, but he thought, well, I'll, I'll grab some pencils too. He still does that. <laughs> He's 21. <laughs> and, and last night he said, is dad going to read? Cause I'll go get my art supplies. <laughs> oh, that, that you're describing just the essence of really this screen strong lifestyle that we talk about all the time. And the tip to have a quiet time is something I really promote. I'm very, very passionate around that. And it is what you're doing by by kind of designating this time of the day when your children have to be on their own. You are training them to be alone with their thoughts, to be alone with who they are and their identity and figure out that, you know what, I don't have to have a lot of stimulation that I can just figure out what I want to do. And it always, always leads to something creative. And we have so much noise in our lives that we don't have that white space anymore. And we don't have the margin in our, and if our kids are not sort of brought up to expect that and to be comfortable with that silence and to start building those habits, if they aren't doing that when they are under our roof and when they're kids, it's going to be very, very hard to do it later. It's very hard. And it's, um, it's so healthy. It is so healthy. And I want to tell parents all the time that even though the iPad seems so easy, it seems like such a babysitter. The iPad is just a taker. The iPad takes from your child. It does not give back to them. This is such a great point that you're bringing up. I just love listening to your conversation around it because it is the gift that keeps giving. It is an investment. And at the time you think, well, there's no way that I could like for someone listening right now, what would you say to the mom who has a five-year-old or a 10-year-old and then maybe she's got a three-year-old and an eight-year-old, you know, and she says to you, there is just no way I can get my kids to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they've been playing too many video games. Maybe they've gotten used to the iPad. They, they, they're playing on the phone, whatever it is. Yeah. What would you say in your experience are the best steps to get there? Because, yeah. you know, maybe it won't happen overnight, right, right? right? But how can you help us practically? The first thing I would say to the mom is this won't be easy. It might be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it will be so worth it. You've got to start one by looking at your own screen habits. What are your kids seeing you doing? And are you available to them during the day when they're trying to get your attention or are you distracted? So that this is going to be a huge piece of whether or not this is successful. So that's number one. Number two would be to um, sit down with your kids and maybe you do it one-on-one, especially if they're pretty different in age. And you say, I'm sorry, mommy has not done a great job of teaching you how to Mm -hmm. creatively and how to steward technology. And this isn't going to serve you well. And you got to trust me with this one, but I've got to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And we are going to make some changes and you're going to get some pushback, but kids are craving boundaries. And if you set healthy, wise limits on this sort of thing, they wonder, you know, they may rebel for a season, especially if you wait. I guess what I would say to the mom of the 10 year old, that would be my most urgent one to say, look, you've got about five minutes left before this kid's body is surging with hormones and your influence <laughs> is going to dwindle for a season. Mm-hmm. Do this now. And, and so it's, 
Look at your own screen use. Look at your own screen use. Tell them you're sorry for ways that you have failed them. Tell them that you are so excited about what this new way is going to look like and paint the vision for them of creative time and new art supplies and really wonderful Mm -hmm. stories that are going to capture their imagination. And you might for a season do special snack and tea time and you, you read to them and they sit and listen on a blanket and you might start for 20 minutes. And, but you know, the, all of those little seeds will grow and, and you can stretch that time out. And I, I still think there's a place to say, you got to take the devices away and just say, mm. we blew it. This was a disaster. We're sorry. Yeah. Um, you can't have this anymore. And a 10-year-old will be grumpy about it, but it's still your responsibility to do it. Believe me, these kids are not going to be forever and ever then without a screen. They're going to have them still. It's like when you try to go off sugar, you get candy from the bank and candy from here and candy from there. (laughs) You're still going to get sugar. Every time we've ever done healthy eating, I say, kids, look, don't panic. You're still going to get sugar because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So you're you're carving out for your kids a sacred space where they have the freedom to think and dream and become really more fully human. I would also add to push through for forming new habits. You know how it can take, um, I think I've heard some people say it takes around 21 days to form a new habit. But if you persist through that, you really can get the inertia working for you instead of against you. But you could expect from the beginning, anytime you're going in a new direction, you've got disruption you've you're you're changing routine and that is disruptive it, and you you can't be surprised when you have pushback but that inertia really can start working for you if you're consistent if you stay with it get through the difficulty and then that inertia works for you to start developing the healthier routine but especially even going back to your point about the the kind of appetite that um, people have for screen engagement, for video games, other things, it, it really is a different kind of appetite. And it does create kind of a snacking mindset that it can be difficult to begin to develop appetites for things that require a little more engagement and attention span and an appreciation for and that's that's part of it i think in the same way candace and i realized we used to we had a pretty strong personal reading routine at night and then once we got smartphones we started finding ourselves snacking on social media or shorter pieces online and realized we didn't enjoy that as much as reading a good book but we had to be more intentional about reshaping our appetite because those little snacks are are yeah. pretty tasty in the moment. And then you start realizing I've just been eating junk food for a season. It definitely requires a lot of intentionality and persistence to push into a new routine. Yeah. And this, the stakes get higher, the older kids get. So the younger the child, the easier it is, even though in the moment it feels hard, it, it's going to get harder the older the kids get. Yes. And the longer yes. you can delay access to screens, even if even if that means taking the screens they have away, yeah. the more you push that out towards adulthood, the more you're buying for them the innocence of childhood and the time to develop 
And um, it really is a gift. You're giving your kids a gift. It may not feel that way to you in the moment or to them, but that's what you're doing. Yeah. And, and it works. And we just have so many testimonies um, in our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where parents are coming in and talking about how it works. And you really don't understand how it works until you do it. And then all of a sudden you see a whole different side of your child. And it's amazing. And they get so confident around just their own skin. And, you know, the minute they get on social media, they're not confident in their own skin. The minute they get on a video game, they lose interest in all the books and the fun games and things they can do together. I want to talk about a couple more things, just practically speaking. I believe, just like you were talking, Steve, about the the little cookies here and there or the little bits of, you know, it's like, oh, I'm on a diet, but, you know, one one little thing won't hurt me here or there or whatnot. And so let's talk about, or I want y'all to talk about the nooks and crannies of your day, right? So you've made it through your quiet time, these little nooks and crannies of the rest of the day where what what I started figuring out with my kids was we need to have little things they can just pick up. And one thing was a Rubik's cube. And this started pretty early. And I thought, what other things can I have around my house? We have puzzles out. But I'm curious, what do you do when it would be so tempting just to hand over your phone for them to play a little game? You know, what do you do instead? What do you do when you're waiting in line at the post office if you wait in line anymore at the post office? What do you do when, you know, these little nooks and crannies? Uh Uh, Well, when I am going to be waiting in line somewhere, I take a book. I I throw a book in my purse. And part of the reason is because I want to have that time to read. But part of the reason is because I really want to be an example. There are almost no people in lines looking around, paying attention, looking for conversation. So I um, try to be an example by reading in line. And also, if I see an opportunity to talk to someone in line, I do. And especially if it's a mom with a young child to even say something like, oh, this, wow, this is going to go so fast. Don't blink, you know, especially if she's on her phone and she is totally distracted. Um, But for the kids, we we play a lot of games, a lot of board games together as a family. And then, you know, in there, in the afternoon when they're done with school, they play a lot of games together. We still have two that are um, grade school and, uh, well, middle school and high school age. They love to play games and they, they're both boys. They play a ton of Legos. We have mm-hmm. Legos coming out of our ears practically. And, and I mentioned the Rube Goldberg. For any of your listeners who don't know what that is, you've got to look it up. It's one of the most fun ways for boys to spend their afternoon building these contraptions and then huh. seeing if it works when dad comes home and trying to make a stop action. Um, oh my goodness. Or a slow-mo video. Rather. Yeah. 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 And what was that again? Say that again. Uh, Rube, R-U-B-E, Goldberg, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G. So basically the idea is very complicated ways to do something that can be really simple so that you can have like this whole series of dominoes that fall and then this uh, contraption that pushes over a stack of books and rolls a ball down something. And all of it is just towards the point of turning the light off. Oh my goodness. We're going to definitely look into that. Well, there's so much fun. The other yeah. thing that we did that we do a lot of is cook. I have one son who loves to cook and he's actually quite good at it. Yeah. And yeah. so we do we do a lot of that kind of thing as well. I would also add that we have had a routine Friday nights or game night. It has been sometimes it's a movie night where we we sure. do want to proactively curate some good movies that we yeah. want to watch as a family. We want to use as conversation starters, want to be able to enjoy that. And that's not always easy. We've definitely appreciated, you know, some of the filtering services that are available so that 
we're not having to unnecessarily distract them with things that, you know, really aren't helpful towards the plot, but can be distracting language and other things. But I think doing those as a family is a big part of our routine. We, we recognize, kind of going back to your point about the nooks and crannies of the day, that our life is made up of our routines. And anything important in life has to show up in our routine at some point. And so mm-hmm. being intentional about those moments instead of just letting them happen. And I think it is easy for us to just fall into these patterns. I mean, most of our bad habits are triggered by times of the day or by, you know, certain elements of stress or whatever. And we just kind of fall back on, well, this is when I always grab a a screen or something like that. And so I think our intentionality of having game nights, of trying to look at evening time, you know, maybe while dinner is being made to jump in and help with dinner or setting the table, but then also maybe pulling out a book, doing some puzzles together. And we also love word games where a lot of times like on a, a trip or waiting for our food at a restaurant or something like that, we'll, we'll do this, um, th- this one word game called words within words where we say, okay, how many words can we think of that have the word car in it? So like carburetor, carnation, you know, just all kinds of things like that. We just go around and everybody tries to come up with one until you run out. That is so great. Just little things like that. And I, I have to say, I, you know, had to kind of lean into that a lot of times at restaurants where I would look around and see all the other kids had a device handed to them and they were doing that and they weren't having shared family time and realize, okay, this is something we need to be intentional about. So found, you know, word games are a good way to do that when you can't exactly, you know, pull out a board game at a restaurant. Yeah, that's perfect. And I love the point that you're saying that we have to schedule things. I'm really big on structure now and to have kind of chaos within the structure, but to have a schedule is super important for parents to have a schedule because if you don't, then the world of screens is just going to probably do the schedule for you. Did you dive into music or music lessons in your house? I know this is one of those nooks and cranny things for our family is my boys both play music instruments. And so it is, I had no idea of the value of that gift empowering through those middle school years when they want to quit all their lessons, you know, to not let them quit. And now that's kind of our nooks and crannies. They're in yeah. there playing on the piano. They get, they pick up the guitar. Even this morning before they were going to school, one of them picked up the guitar waiting for the other one. And he's playing this really cool song. And I want to do a whole nother show about music one day, yeah, <laughs> but, um, but do y'all, did y'all do music lessons in your house? Yeah, that was pretty important to me. I had piano and voice lessons as a child and um, have loved singing and, I just had a a strong conviction from the earliest age that they had to learn how to swim so they wouldn't drown and they had to learn how to play music. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And they did all learn to swim and they enjoy it. Um, But they have all become musicians. We started lessons around the time that they were learning how to read. Developmentally, that seems to be a, a good time for children to learn because reading, uh, playing music requires you to read music, and music is really a language. Mm-hmm. And so, when they're starting, when they're able to read, that's a good time to start lessons. And they all started um, on the piano. Zoe stayed with the piano, and she's now studying piano um, in college. 
Wow. And um, Harrison quickly shifted to guitar and it just clicked for him. He's a lefty and he was always awkward at the keyboard, but really loved the guitar. And he studied it in lessons until probably his sophomore year in college. And then he just is not studying music in college. And so it became too much, but he still plays um, in church. And last night was leading the, the worship time on our Wednesday night prayer service. And he has also added in the ukulele and the mandolin just yeah. on his own without lessons and took about a year and a half of violin. He bought a violin and then um, a few probably months later decided, I, I don't have time for this anymore. I've got to go to class. So yeah. our youngest really wanted to do violin. So after he had had about a year and a half of piano, he shifted and inherited his brother's violin. And he's now just loving the violin. And then our fourth son plays the drums. And he was a belly drummer from the time he was a toddler. (laughs) He just always had rhythm and he was pounding it out on his own stomach. It was like the built-in instrument. But he's a really gifted drummer and just started playing for the Sunday morning service a couple of weeks ago. So the thing I love about music, Melanie, is that it fills our home with beauty and it's something everybody can join into. They play together. Um, the four of them will often come down to the basement where a lot of the instruments are and jam. They have a band that they call Concerning Hobbits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, that's you know, great. I think homeschooling has gone a long way towards fostering their friendships with each other. And I think that's another big key to um, not having your kids pulled by the world and pulled by screens is having strong friendships within your own family. Exactly. It's worth working on that. Yeah, um, but so just that the, it's it counters peer influence, you know, for them to have strong relationship with each other, and music is really a great way to share that. Well, and so along with that, and what you were just talking about, siblings, what would you say to a family who has an only child who has not been able to, for whatever reason or choice, you know, have a lot of kids, and we get a lot of questions about this, and I know there there is a special you know, it's especially hard. It is on some level to have an only child. I, I um, do recommend that you have friends over a lot, of course, not just any random friends, but friends that you think are going to be good influences on your kids. But what are your thoughts around that? And how can you encourage a family that has an only child? I would say that um, the two biggest challenges for an only is that you'll be even more tempted to lean on screens because you'll have so much downtime, <laughs> so much. Um, yes. There's nobody else to play with every day. Right. And there is a little bit of a disadvantage in that they don't have playmates with them all the time. So there are some things like that that you have to consider. And that's where you might have more scheduled time in your day to have friends over. But then there's also advantages too. So there's advantages and disadvantages, I think, to the smaller families, you know, as well as the larger families. I mean, obviously with an only child, they're going to get more one-on-one time with their parents. Let me ask you this, and we're going to get ready to wrap up here. And, And Steve, this is more for you. You know, we were talking about, you mentioned the idea of pushing through to form these new habits and how there's like this 21-day period of some rough waters, you know, you've just got to hang in there and do it. Well, what would you say to the mom who might say, well, I'm getting pushback from my husband, you know, where there's a dad who's not on board necessarily, and I don't want to throw dads under the bus, but in our culture, it does seem to be that that more men, and I know people will say, wait a minute, I don't think that's true, but I'm just going to say in general terms that dads can really struggle with mom who's wanting to go 
screen free or low tech, you know, in their home versus a dad who's really intrigued with video games. And can I use video games to bond with my child? And I played video games growing up and I turned out just fine. And then you have this pushback. And so can you speak a little bit to that from a dad's perspective? When it comes to playing with our kids and building relationship with them through games, one of the phrases we heard early on that just really jumped out at us was, you are your child's favorite toy. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there can be some bonding around play that you do together, but the most significant thing is your active engagement. And so, you know, any kind of play you're doing together, the relational element has a lot of potential, but especially anything that is keeping the focus on your interaction with each other. So Mm -hmm. anything that is, um, you know, so immersive that you kind of disappear beside them, I think you're losing the benefit of that, that relational time. But I think the reality is so many dads are wired in such a way that so much of their identity and energy often goes to their work so that it often does take a wife or other maybe older men in their lives to remind them of the incredible significance of their investment in their children as one of their primary investments. And there will often be, I mean, I think always will be some tensions between their their pursuits in work and the reality of this, the limited window of time that they have to form and shape and influence their children. And so what happens is a lot of those decisions about media, it's easy for a dad to almost have this mindset of, I'm just going to hit the snooze button. I just want quiet. And therefore, I'm okay with them playing video games or watching television, or watching a movie because it gives me some quiet time. And it really is, though, hitting a snooze button and the alarm's going to get louder. Actually, what's, what's really sad is when the alarm stops going off and you start realizing, okay, my kids aren't coming and asking for things. They're not coming and engaging because now they are absorbed in those screen worlds wives are going to have to to recognize their husbands will have this tension between their pursuits of work and how kids will often fit around that in their mindset and will often have to be the ones who are the ones reminding them this is a small window of time you yeah. you are very important to your child your your affection for them your example for them your words for them are so critical But I recognize you have other things pressing on you, and I know those seem critical, but you have to balance those. I think you really nailed it. Thank you so much for coming. And thank just thanks again so much for your time today, Steve and Candace. You're welcome. Well, thank you for what you're doing. This is a very valuable work. For more information about what Steve and Candace are doing and what they've done in the past and some of the books that they've written and information on just raising your family, you can go to their website. It's familymaking.com. I hope that you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe and rate and share this podcast with your friends. We are so thankful for the tips that we have on this podcast. Head over to our website, 
to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge that we mentioned today and to help you get your kids off of toxic screens. Also make sure to join our Screen Strong Family Facebook group where you'll find support from other parents just like you. And the name of that group again is Screen Strong Families. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Thank you.